0: Good morning. It is the fifteenth of November. Good Monday morning. You have just participated in a historic event. Dun dun Something, dun. Dun dun, dun. Yeah, Something exactly. has just happened that has never happened before, and you have been witness to it. People driving around, listening to Faith one hundred point seven in Des Moines, Iowa. Good just...
2: morning, Des Moines. Yay! You wanted me to do that. You you wanted I me to do the Robin it. Williams
1: thing anyway.
0: That is Paul Perot. He is the (laughs) producer of this program, and he has um, been a member of the Faith Radio team for a long time, so we thought it would be fun to let Paul introduce Faith Radio to the people of Des Moines, Iowa, who have the opportunity for the very first time to listen to a live signal there on Faith 100.7. Actually, it is kind of interesting because back in 2004, in, uh, I think it was April, I was the first live voice in Des Moines on Life 107.1 and
1: 96.1, which is our sister music station down in Des Moines. So it's kind of cool I get to be one of the first voices heard on Faith Radio in Evidence Des Moines. Evidence
0: that the voice of Paul Perot never goes away.
1: No. Oh, make it sound oh, It's like... so good. Oh, no, it's, oh, it's good. good.
0: Okay. It's good. Yeah. It's good. So good morning, Des Moines. Um, This is Faith Radio. This is the Faith Radio Network. We come to you from the Ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul in St. Paul, Minnesota. We come to you as a part of Northwestern Media. This is Mornings with Carmen, and my name is Carmen LeBurge. This program is designed to. I don't know, meet you first thing in the morning or actually anytime on the Faith Radio app or online at myfaithradio.com to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. We're trying to have conversations that are designed to help you get God back into every conversation today. We acknowledge um, that the people of Christ in the world are ambassadors of the King. We are kingdom people, um, big K, kingdom people in the midst of lots of kingdoms of this world, and we're just seeking to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. So welcome to Mornings with Carmen. One of the questions I ask every single day, or I try to ask every single day, uh, is where in the word are you? We're, We're familiar with the question, where in the world are you? And so we give a geographical answer to that question. But I want us to give a cosmological answer to the question, where in the word are you today? where are you in the Word of God? I am in John chapter 5, so your answer to that question might be a book of the Bible, a chapter of the Bible, even a verse of the Bible. We can spend a lot of time plumbing the depths of the Word of God, so where in the Word are you today? Because I contend we must be in the Word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves as His people. So where in the Word are you today? Uh, and then we'll we'll lift up one headline this morning before we move to our first conversation uh, with George Barna. That's the way the show is formatted. I have uh, conversations with folks across a broad range of disciplines. Um, so this morning's opening conversation is with George Barna. You know him as a Christian who is also a pollster. He's been asking questions of us in the culture for generations. And um, he visits with us about once a month to bring us some cultural research and offer some commentary about where we are as God's people in the culture today. So before that conversation, let's just lift up this one headline. Uh, National Guard troops have been activated in Wisconsin ahead of um, the jury receiving final instructions um, and an opportunity to deliberate and therefore ultimately um, come forward with a verdict in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. And so let us be praying today as God's people um, for peace, for justice. Let's be people who, um, who want what is right and then also act in ways that are righteous. So that's going on today in, uh, in Wisconsin, and that will have spillover effects into all of our communities as well. All right. First up this morning, George Barna from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. What is postmodernism? Is secular humanism on the increase? What do those terms even mean? And how do young Americans feel about them? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Well, back with us again today is George Barna. We are talking with George over the course of time about the research done at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And they've done this really large study of Americans and our views of, well, lots of things, uh, but specifically, you know, our religious views and how we process information and engage in the world. So, George, welcome back.
2: Well, thanks, Carmen. Always good to be with you.
0: Yeah, so the part of the research that we're looking at today um, is how we as Americans um, are processing the world and really talking about worldview. So take us into this conversation about postmodernism and secular humanism.
2: Well, you know, Carmen, as we mentioned in in a previous program we did together, the prevailing worldview in America is this thing we call syncretism, that Really, characterize about 88 percent of our population. And that's simply where people draw from a lot of different worldviews and have this mishmash of ideas that becomes their foundation for decision making. Because that's what a worldview does. It enables you to make decisions. You, it, it's the filter through which you see and experience the world and then respond to it. And there are many different worldviews we choose from, but two of the dominant ones tend to be postmodernism and secular humanism. Postmodernism is a worldview that we hear more about than maybe most of the others, and yet most Americans still don't know too much about it. It's really an extension of existentialism. And like many of the worldviews that are not based on the Bible, it's one that challenges biblical ideas about truth, about purpose about the existence of god about the meaning of life about what success actually is about why we live uh, about the meaning of history i mean all of these things are challenged by postmodernism and it's it's interesting to me too when you look at americans you find that uh, only about 1% or so maybe 2% would actually qualify as postmodern in terms of their dominant worldview. But you've got about one out of six Americans who draw frequently from postmodern thinking. So even though it's not the most compelling set of ideas to most Americans, it is one that we draw from pretty commonly.
0: So I think what you're telling us, George, is although um, a person would – very likely, not describe themselves as postmodern. Like they're just not going to check that box if uh, if they're given a list. Um, you know, what is your worldview, or what's the what's the set of ideas out of which you're making your decisions? Very few people are going to check the box. Oh, I I am postmodern. My understanding of reality is a postmodern understanding. Um, I I actually uh, think. But if the, if you were to go down the list and say, do you? base your decision-making based on sort of the culture of the day? Um, do you believe that human beings are primarily biological um, and that the corruption of the person is societal? Um, do you base your truth in science um, or do you base your truth in the in the Bible as the revealed word of God? Um, we talk about uh, those kinds of questions. People will reveal that they are, in fact, postmodern. Um, in answer to many of those questions uh and, and when you start talking about a belief um in the reality of God in terms of active right now, present and active right now, working out a divine will over the course of the scope of a, a of a historical arc that we would call grace or redemption, I mean that's just not for most Americans what they really believe, if belief is the way I live.
2: Yeah, and I think what we're talking about here is the difference between self-identification and factual identification. So when we Mm. talk about self-identification, how we describe ourselves, who we think of ourselves as being, we do know that most Americans would say that, well, I'm Christian. In fact, we know that 51% of Americans claim that they have a biblical worldview, even though only 6% do. So there's this humongous gap between how we characterize ourselves, not only in our own minds, but to other people, as opposed to the ideas that we really hold on to as being the ones that work best for us. And when we talk about something like postmodernism, that's a concept, a philosophy of life that dismisses large-scale narratives, what they would call the grand narratives. And so that's what Christianity is. It's a grand mm-hmm. narrative that helps to explain why we exist and how life works. Postmodernism would say, nah, everything really depends on the conditions in which you find yourself. And so you have to uh, be able to navigate constant change And it really is going to stem from your feelings more than anything else, from what comes naturally to you in that situation. And so, you know, these all-inclusive religious principles that a faith like Christianity proposes, not true. They're not real, and you ought not to buy into them. And that's why, for instance, people who are deeply immersed in postmodernism, they're actually offended by Christian evangelism. When Mm -hmm. somebody shares the gospel with them, they find it appalling. And so, yeah, it is a very different way of addressing life, regardless of what our self-identification might be.
0: All right, we're talking with George Barna, um, and let me just ask you this question as George and I are going to take a very brief break. Have you thought about what you're thinking about today? and then how you're thinking about that, the decisions that you have to make and what you're going to bring to bear on those decisions. Come to find out, we're actually, most of us, functional atheists. We, we might say we believe in God, but we actually make our day-to-day decisions as if God is not. And we're functional secularists, and we're functional postmoderns, even if we confessionally say we're Christians. How does that work? We're going to talk about how this actually works in reality in just a moment. All right, picking up our conversation with George Barna. Um, George, just to circle back briefly for folks who might just be tuning in. The reality is that many, many Americans, most Americans, something like almost 90 percent of American adults are actually crafting their own unique worldview. They're fashioning it from things that appeal to them from a variety of worldviews. How is that working functionally for people?
2: Well, you know, when we look at how satisfied people are with their life, when we look at how satisfied they are with the direction that the country's moving in, when we look at what proportion of people say that they feel uh, completely fulfilled in life, one of the interesting things we discover is that the folks who are most likely to be up at the top of that continuum, saying that they feel very satisfied, extremely satisfied with those things, are people who have a biblical worldview. When we look toward the bottom of the continuum, it's the people who are most likely to buy into any one of these other worldviews who are saying that they're least satisfied or very unsatisfied with what's going on. And in the great middle portion of that continuum is where you find people who are, you know, what I was describing earlier as syncretists, people who have this cut-and-paste approach to putting their worldview together, so they've got some of everything thrown together just to help them get through the day. Uh, they're they're even confused about whether or not they're satisfied. So, you know, we've got this continuum going on. And when people buy into ways other than God's ways, it's not working, which, if you're a logical person, makes sense. God made us. God gives us purpose. God gave us a rule book for how to live, how it is that we can thrive from day to day. And if we choose to ignore or abandon or reject that, and all these reasons he has for our life, including the purpose he's given us, along with the gifts and the skills and the abilities that enable us to fulfill that purpose, well, it's not terribly surprising if you're logical and rational and reasonable that you're going to struggle with life.
0: So, um, so George, let me just confess that you know I see as like disintegrated and fractured. Another individual is actually viewing as sort of their handcrafted, customized, mosaic worldview. And so for me to show up, and this gets to the evangelism point that you just made a moment ago, for me to show up and suggest that not only do I have a functional worldview that's that's integrated around Christ and around uh, who God is and what God has revealed and God's redemptive work, not only in my life, but in the course of human history— and then for me to say it actually is the worldview, capital T, that is really offensive to a person who is just pragmatically, pragmatically working out from moment to moment what they perceive to be the most attractive way to approach the conversation, the day, the relationship, the project, the moment
2: because when you look at these other worldviews, one of the other things they all have in common is that there's no such thing as absolute moral truth. God is not the basis of or even the very definition of truth. Uh, They would believe that human life has no value, intrinsic value, and therefore the extension of that thinking is, well, there really can't be much purpose to it then. Uh, These other faiths tend to think, all faiths are of equal value. There's no one faith that stands out. And for some of them, uh, you know, they would, like secular humanism, they would say, well, that equal value, by the way, is no value. Religious faith has no value. You know, Marxism, religious faith is actually harmful to humanity. You know, so depending on the worldview you're focused on, that would be their point of view. So it makes sense. But as you say, then you've got, this very different group of people who are taking God at his word and it's a group we call the integrated disciples because they've integrated God's truth into how they're trying to be Christ-like from moment to moment and you know just based on the objective data it's working for them it's working better for them than these alternative approaches are working for the advocates of those alternative approaches so you know if you really want to be objective, which is what most of these other faiths claim they are, and if you really want to go by the science of the data which most of them claim they want to do, that's all pointing us toward God.
0: I think that the witness and testimony of the authentic Christian or the fully integrated Christian um, or whatever language we want to use here, I-, I think that the testimony of being a person operating out of the peace which passes all understanding, like being a person of peace in the midst of the confusion and the chaos of the day, being a person of peace who actually makes peace in the world, that seems to me a very rich testimony. I guess I'm wondering, what does your research suggest in terms of what can I do, what can we do as integrated Christians in terms of reaching people um, to whom we are proximate in, in the culture today?
2: You know, you you bring up a great point, which is that what we consistently find is that people don't get converted, if you will, by our words, our teaching, our preaching, as much as they do by our example. And so the best thing that we can do is to model for people the things that we believe and to just be very authentic about how we live with that and through that because people consistently observe us, and they're making judgments all the time. And one of the most confusing things for postmodernists, secular humanists, Marxists, Eastern mysticists, is when they see Christians who are at peace with life, with God, the world, all of these things, and we're trying to bless other people. When our perspective is that I am here do what I can to serve others, because that's the example that I have from Christ, and that's what I believe really gives me pleasure and value in life because that's what Christ would do that is the strongest testimony of all
0: George that is so helpful i'm um you know i'm I'm sort of imagining here Christians who are listening remaining remaining proximate in their life to people who are broken and whose worldviews are um, you know a cobbled together mosaic of uh, of broken pieces and parts and they think it works for them for a time we just have to remain there and pray and care and be ready be ready when they recognize that their system has no roof or you know it doesn't actually function because it's not whole it's not whole and it's never going to make them whole um so i just it's it's so helpful for you to um bring to us the research um, and the data that helps us understand the world in which we live, because each and every one of us is, you know, trying to apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day, and you help us do that. So, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. You guys can find George Barna, the research we've been talking about, at arizonachristian.edu. Edu. You're looking for the Cultural Research Center. We'll be right back. So we visit um, from time to time with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Uh, Adam loves politics. He loves political theory. He loves learning about human beings and how God calls us to live together um, in community with one another, which is the basics of politics. He teaches everything from the U.S. Constitution and American government to civil rights um, and constitutional law, as well as politics in the Bible at Hillsdale College. And he Joins us next to talk about some of the political headlines of the day. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: As an adult, you've learned to wait. You wait in lines, you wait for the promised phone call, you wait for your favorite TV show. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Even if you and I get antsy from time to time, we've learned how to wait. But there's something inherently difficult about waiting upon God. Have you ever been praying for your teen lately? Are you anxious about how he'll grow up or if she'll ever grow up? Do you find it hard to trust the Lord when your teen breaks all the rules? When she openly defies your directives? Look, relinquishing the outcome and giving up control won't be easy. But have patience with the Lord's sovereign plan. He loves your children even more than you do. Want to bring Mark to your church or community? Find out how to request an event in your area when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: Dr. Adam Carrington joins us again today. He teaches politics From a Christian worldview, I will argue, at the Hillsdale College, Um, it's not technically a Christian worldview school, but I would say that Adam definitely teaches from that worldview. Adam, we're welcoming new listeners today in Des Moines, Iowa. And so um, sometimes, you know, I'm taking a step back today to be sure they know who we're talking to and what we're talking about. So welcome this morning and, and good morning again to our new listeners in Des Moines.
1: Glad, glad they're joining us. Uh, I have two really great students in my Federalist Papers class right now that are both from Iowa. So uh, keep, you know, that, that that state is already showing its uh, good colors here in Hillsdale as well.
0: Yes, apparently um, Iowa beat Minnesota yesterday and is uh, eight and two. Wisconsin is on a six game winning streak of seven to uh, seven games to three. Um, who are you rooting for on any given Saturday?
1: <laughs> oh, this'll get me in trouble with almost everyone. Uh I grew up in Ohio, so I, I, I'm an Ohio State fan. Uh so I, I don't know if we just lost most of the listeners, but No, yeah, no, that, that's, that's good. That's we mine. got we've got Buckeyes so. out
0: there. We got and it's like <laughs> one of the tastiest Christmas <clears throat> treats is that little peanut butter ball wrapped up in that chocolate business that's that that's that oh, buckeye. it's delicious absolutely i know
1: that yeah uh, so there any you go. combination any combination of chocolate and peanut butter i'm about but if it if it connects yeah. to my team yeah no that's i have a, a long I, family tradition <laughs>
0: yeah that's a buckeye yeah. everybody loves so there you go yep. all right um adam let's talk a little bit about politics this morning um if I were just going to tee up a conversation today about how things are going, maybe for the Biden administration, um, what kind of conversations might we find ourselves in?
1: Uh, not good, Bob, or at least just the one TV show said. <laughs> yeah, that might that might be it. it no, it's it's uh, it's not doesn't take someone who's a, a deep student of politics to know that uh, the Biden administration really is uh, flailing That uh, And it's on a number of fronts, obviously, that uh, foreign policy has not gone well over the summer uh, with the pullout in Afghanistan. Uh, Now you have the election in Virginia, and I'd even say the election in New Jersey, that the Democrat won but much closer than it should have been, I think uh, showed that there's a lot of disconnect and frustration among the American people. And I I think, and, and some others have pointed this out, That a lot of it is is probably less, although not not entirely against some of this, um, what's called wokeness or or uh, attempts to bring in critical race theory. Uh, I think people uh, that that turns off a number of people, but I think the bigger things are that uh, inflation is going up uh, and that uh, people aren't wanting to return to work and. Uh, uh, energy costs in particular with inflation are going way up and that that there are a lot of people who aren't paying attention to politics normally that feel like politics is negatively affecting their life. And when you get to that group, not just the group that's always consuming politics and always going to be upset or happy about something, but the people that aren't necessarily political, when they start to think that uh, decisions by the Biden administration are affecting them, then you're in a lot of trouble and i think we've reached that point with uh, employment with with inflation and and a number of issues related to that so uh not not doing well at all not saying things can't turn around but uh thing no real good silver linings at this point on at least major issues for him
0: well and i think that you know for people who are fans of um the president's political agenda Um, there aren't even really significant wins for them to point to and celebrate. And so there's frustration on the far left as well. Um, They didn't get wins at the climate summit that I think that they had hoped for. They didn't get particularly big wins in the infrastructure uh, bill, which he signs going to sign into law today. Um, And so I think that uh, I don't think that there is frustration only from maybe the political right. I think there's also frustration um, from the political left, and that leaves i mean uh, th- that just leaves him with little room to celebrate any victories and I think that's a challenge I think that's a challenge for anybody um in any position where they just don't feel like they have really anybody sort of celebrating who they are and what they're doing
1: and he's we've talked about this before he's in a tough position with the fact that the uh, democratic coalition that rose in reaction to Donald Trump was united more by uh, dislike the guy they didn't like for Mm -hmm. Trump. Exactly. And and a lot of personality or competence questions. But that meant that when they got in charge with Biden at the helm, that 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 went away to a large degree and they had to actually do something positive. And now you have a lot of suburban uh, married couples that thought they were Democrats and then uh, hard, much more harder left, you know, university campus types, and and they realize, and, and even uh, those in the African American community, and they're realizing they 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 haven't quite figured out what they all agree on, if ever, anything, and so when they actually actually have to act positively, you're seeing these fissures that are opening up, and and I think that you know long term these things can be put together. Uh, the right has its own issues to some degree with this as well. But uh, for now, it, it, it's, it's not working. And the president is struggling, I think, to try to, to make those separate parts come together on a positive agenda rather than in a negative one.
0: So, Adam, that—and um, I'm talking with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We are just talking around a range of topics related to politics today and how we as Christians engage in those conversations. Um, Adam— I think that what you are illuminating is it's just a whole lot easier to rally a bunch of people against something, to be unified in our opposition to something, than it is to somehow be unified in our positive, constructive building of something. Is that one way to view what's happening in America today?
1: Oh, I think so. It's 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 always easier to define yourself by what you're against than, than what you're for, because if it's what you're against, it puts the failure, the higher standard or the higher chance for failure on your opponents because you're merely focusing on what they're doing. And, you know, we've seen this uh, in, in the past as well. Sometimes uh, getting into power, you, you, Republicans, I think I, I was giving Democrats a hard time. I think Republicans have been much more effective in the minority because they have struggled when they've gotten in charge beyond things like tax cuts. You know, what can they all agree on? And I think that's also just part of fallen human nature. I think that um, we <clears throat> aren't always gracious enough to those who are trying to lead. We aren't always as willing ourselves to get our hands dirty in the good way of of trying to participate in the body politic and realizing that in a fallen world, the the, the actual solutions from both sides are going to come in the sense of um, uh, uh, compromises, they're going to come in the sense of hard choices on what to do in a world that, you know, is still waiting to be redeemed and renewed. And uh, I I think that especially today, where a lot of our politics is about rhetoric and less about action, something we've talked about in the past as well that that problem has become more exacerbated. And it really is a place for Christians, I think, to come in with a kind of gospel—not just mindset, but a gospel heart that um, wants to see uh, a real positive good done while understanding the limits of that and therefore not always defining oneself by one's opponents.
0: All right, we're going to take a very brief break. And then, Adam, I want to ask you about just sort of this record movement out of the workforce that we've seen over the past month. Um, And and let's just reflect together on the meaning of work, the dignity of work, um, what work means for those of us who understand a biblical worldview. So all of that up next on Mornings with Carmen. continuing our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington at Hillsdale College. Adam, let's talk a little bit about um the movement out of work um in terms of the American labor force. What are you seeing and what do you think it portends?
1: Well, the in September, which is the last month that we have hard data for so far, there was a record number of people leaving work voluntarily uh, four point <clears throat> pardon me four point four million, according to a New York Times report that came from the labor department and this is part of a longer term issue that has come out of the pandemic, and we 're still debating exactly why it 's happened and how it 's happened. but I think a lot of listeners probably out there are seeing uh, there are a lot of uh, of restaurants, for example, or fast food in the service industry that maybe are running only smaller hours or part time or not having in-house dining or things like that but we're also going to see it probably this christmas season in uh not having enough drivers to drive uh goods and services across the country so it's it people are going to see it and i think uh it it does lead because we haven't seen a movement like this in a long time uh or at least that i can remember um that that to what you were saying uh what maybe we need to be starting to talk again about what should we as christians understand about work uh what should we understand about our relationship to others in relation to that work and both from the side of the employee uh but also i think there's a lot coming out about what should be expected of employers and how they treat their employees. So I think, I think uh, uh, you're right to point to that, that connection that I think goes all the way back to the, to the fall. Um, You know, it's interesting that God told Adam and Eve to, 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 to basically cultivate the garden of Eden. So, so work was not something that came out of the fall what comes out of the fall and the curses that come out of the fall is that work will be painful and and sometimes not productive. Uh, Nature will fight us rather than always agree with us and help us. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people are struggling with the futility of work. And I think that that we need to really be starting to talk again about what's the dignity and good of work and how can we treat workers correctly? Because uh, another big part of this is, how much work is part of being in a community. Um, Mm. We often come together at first because of needs. You know, I need medical care or I need food or even parents with their kids. (laughs) Pardon me. I need physical, you know, provision and protection. But often what, what, what physical necessity drives us to uh, being in some kind of relationship with another is often the way that facilitates higher you know higher relationships relationships of love relationships of friendship uh, relationships of real community um you know going all the way back to aristotle um you know the political and, and 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 other kind of other well broad philosopher he said cities political communities come together for two reasons they first come together to live to try to survive because you need help doing that. But he says they stay together to live well, but Mm. they, uh, you know, to do good, virtuous, happy things, to be a community together. I think you see this with the church as well. Uh, But you need, sometimes you need the first, you know, sort of kick in that direction to do the other. And I think we can see work as one of those ways that we are building community even when we don't realize it.
0: I think that the taking the time to think about what we're thinking about. It's part of what you're challenging us to do here. You know, I'm not just going to mindlessly get up and go to work every day. I'm going to mindfully consider what work is, um, you know, that God created me to be a person who is um, creative and productive, um, who labors, that that is not, uh, that's not a part of the fall. That's a part of the creation mandate. Uh, And so just encourage folks to go back to genesis and revisit what god has said about who we are and uh, and how he has called us to live to be people who are productive so what are you sowing today um, we do we do recognize that we sow what we reap and so if you don't like what we're reaping in the culture today consider going out there and tilling up the cultural soil cultivating it differently planting uh, the the seeds of the word of god but also you know planting seeds of peace that what we Uh, might, uh, yeah, that what we might harvest as a people would be different in the years to come.
1: Yeah, Carmen, if I could add to that, I think something that churches could really be useful uh, talking about uh, along these lines to help people is the concept of vocation. Mm. The idea that it isn't that God just ordains and blesses and, and comforts ministers of the gospel or those in some sort of parachurch ministry as well, that God really has called uh, all people to work in all sort of moral, at least, uh, jobs and and, uh, obligations, and that therefore there is a great dignity. It's not just an obligation. There's a great dignity and sometimes we can undignify certain kinds of jobs and work, often some of the ones that we need the most as a society to keep us moving and going. And I think uh, this this concept of vocation and God's ordination of it can uh, really be not a good thing, uh, not just because it's right and true and because God has commanded it, but it can really bestow that dignity uh, that is inherently there, but I guess a recognition of it among people and maybe get society to see that dignity and respect that dignity in a way that I don't know that we always do in our contemporary culture.
0: Yeah. Thank you for those of you texting in all of the, uh, all, all of the reasons that you think people, um, are not working. I think I think that they're, um, <laughs> There are individual reasons for people choosing to leave the labor force today, and I totally acknowledge and recognize that. So thank you for those of you texting in. Hey, if you're listening for the first time in Des Moines, that's one of the things we do during the show is that uh, folks text in at 877-933-2484. You're going to hear me give that number um, frequently. And so it's a good one to go ahead and program into your phone, 877 933 Eight four. You can always text me during the show. It's also the way we um, we give away books and other resources and all kinds of great stuff. So there you go, um, Adam. As we um, as we c- close our conversation today, love for you to just make some walk off comments about Thanksgiving in a civil society.
1: Right. Uh, so coming up, I hope everyone does have a great Thanksgiving. And we we have a culture that I think really does struggle with thanks. And not without reason. I know you're just saying you're getting messages about why people leave the workforce, and I, I, I agree. There there are complicated reasons for that uh, and some very legitimate ones. But I would say that um, as Christians, uh, we serve a great God. Uh, we serve a God that uh, blesses us beyond anything that we could ever expect, demand, or hope for. And that even in these times where so many people are unhappy, so many people are struggling with satisfaction, uh, we do have the ultimate source of that satisfaction in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that in our society, we can even see, and I think we should be called to look for... Those common grace blessings, as well in the religious liberty that we still retain, uh, and in the uh, uh, the f- other freedoms we have, our ability to worship together, uh, uh, the communities that we do have, and I think that thankfulness can also be a springboard for uh, a contending in the best way to make those things better, or to find those things for which we maybe can't give thanks now that we hope to give thanks for in the future. I think it can be such a clarifying, humbling, but also uh, empowering moment uh, that that thanks and thanksgiving can be, and especially one that we should be doing directed toward uh, the, the creator and redeemer of all things.
0: So helpful. So helpful. Well, we wish a happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. and the community where you live. Thank you, as always, so much, Adam, for joining us. You guys can find Adam Carrington at Hillsdale College. He also tweets at Carrington AM. We'll be right back. All right. Do you have a friend in Des Moines, Iowa? If you do, I want you to text them and invite them to join us for the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. Let them know that Faith Radio is now live on 100.7, Faith 100.7 in Des Moines, Iowa. So we just want to celebrate the way that God has invited us to expand this ministry into more and more places. All of that happens because of gifts from listeners like you. So thank you. Um, I mean, at Thanksgiving, one of the things I am most grateful for are those of you who make this ministry possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's not thanks enough. I love what I have the privilege of doing each and every weekday morning on Mornings with Carmen and on the Faith Radio Network, and you make that possible. So we love that God is extending this ministry to more and more people this morning with a new signal at 100.7 in Des Moines, Iowa. So go ahead, reach out to your friends in Des Moines, wake them up, invite them to join us. Hour two is up next. You can listen to it on the Faith Radio app, streaming online at MyFaithRadio.com, or on our Faith Radio signals all across the Upper Midwest and in Hartford, Connecticut. So there you go. Lots of ways to listen. We'll be right back with Hour 2. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.